A special thank you to Kevin Scott Josephs and Dave Walsh. The global pandemic has hit our day jobs hard. This is now our full-time jobs. If you want great content and can afford a few extra bucks, consider becoming a Southpaw supporter on Patreon. If you want to show everyone else your solidarity, we now have an online store full of Southpaw swag. You can find links to both our store and our Patreon at southpawpod.com. When it comes to left media, we cannot exist without your support. This is Sam. This is Redding Medcona. And this is Southpaw. Today on Southpaw, we have the co-founder of the Red Gym, Reading Red Corner. Hi. Hi, how's it going? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, with Reading Red Corner, the name really stuck out to me because it sounded similar to our podcast, Southpaw, <laughs> which is a double entendre to mean left politics, but also, you know, the boxing stance. Is that the same for Red Corner? So the working class corner, but also the Red Corner from boxing. Yeah, exactly. And we're kind of more on the red side of politics. So we're, we're a bit more like uh, the socialist communist side a little bit more. So it kind of makes sense. And also we get the sweet alliteration of redding red corner. Yeah, so. oh man. <laughs> it's all in the branding. So y'all like wordplay over there. <laughs> yes, that's, that's how we spend most of our time. Yes. <laughs> so let's get into all that then. Tell us more about what is a red gym and is this a new concept or is there a history of red fighting gyms? So I think red gyms to a a lot of different peoples, a lot of different things, right? But to us, uh, it really means a gym that's different from a mainstream gym in that it's community focused. It has a solid good politics at its core. It's about bringing other people up through camaraderie, for example, like healthy competition, but camaraderie, like helping each other out to make each other stronger, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I know that to some people, a left gym could just be a gym where just no racists allowed, or maybe they're directly affiliated to a specific political school of thought or group or something. But ours is, our definition is much more into the community, I'd say would be kind of a sad thing um i don't think they are very new um i'm not sure what the situation is in america but i know that across europe there's a very strong history of red gyms in the uk not so rich but across europe like a lot more and of course in the uk and in reading as well like particularly there's a lot of immigrants here from europe and so in our club like maybe 50 percent uh, the co-owner uh, who runs the gym with me is an immigrant as well from Europe. So there's a strong like history of it there, right? So a lot of red gyms exist over there and have done for a long time. And then how did Reading Red Corner come to being? Well, uh, it's, it's, I wish we had a cool origin story. <laughs> it's basically, <laughs> I was going to make one up, but I'll just tell you the real boring one. <laughs> so there's a, a group of friends. So there was about three or four of us, maybe five. And we're all involved in different political 
like uh, groups and organizations uh, across England. And we do loads of different, like pretty solid work in those areas. But we also all box. So we I think we were all doing pretty much K1 and Thai at the time. And we train together just as friends as well as training in the club. And it really feeds into thinking about how much it helps us and it benefits us and feeds into our politics and how we can be better in the community and how we can be stronger and fitter when we're putting ourselves kind of sometimes at the forefront of the ugliest side of society. If I mean, if you're facing hunts, hunters and you're a hunt saboteur, or if you're an anti-fascist and you're facing fascists, like you need to have a certain strength in you and uh, physical ability a lot of the time because it's just the nature of being able to protect yourself and others around you in the community right so when we started just like disseminating that and thinking about that it was a really natural progression it was like of course like we're all left we all train let's start up a gym and one of the big things for us um is that consistency is super super important because we saw from all of the groups we're involved in it's so easy for groups and organizations to like start off with a bang. Oh my God, we've been, you know, with this new fangled thing and here's a t-shirt and here's a mug and we're amazing. And then in three months, like there's nothing. Like <laughs> we'd rather be like, start quiet, build up week by week, stay super, super, super consistent and give people that like structure and that core. And they can rely on us to be there every Tuesday. Right. And it's just really grown from that. It's like really blossomed. It's, so that's a bit of a tip for anybody thinking about starting something. Just be consistent. That's the most important thing. Yeah, exactly. And people can come to rely on you because I don't think people, I don't think I realized at the time just how important the gym would be to people. Like there's some people who are like, I felt really isolated because of my identity. And on Tuesdays, I just get to come and be myself. I get to hang out with my friends. I'm not nervous or scared. I can like, you know show my body and be physical with other people without any fear and that's a really cool thing and you don't realize like to some people this is a safe haven and you don't just give it and then one week be like eh, can't be bothered like it has to be consistent and on the competitive side as well like uh, i'm sure you know super well yourself like with training itself there has to be consistency right you don't progress from being like oh i watched a few warrior collective videos i'm gonna be fine i watched senchai <laughs> i'm gonna like go really hard for five weeks and then just sack it off for two months it's like slow build right now there seems to be a bit of a i don't know if it's a formal or informal like red gym network in the uk how did that come to being actually it's again i think because we do so much work in such cl close networks across the country anyway with different kinds of politics a lot of us know one or two people in the groups as it is and so and i could probably name the gyms that we're working we work with closely because we always have since they're and our inception from that reason and these gyms have been around for a while so they're very solid in their core and their base so that's like leeds fight club brighton left hook and bristol ftp so they're the, we're just very very close to them it's not a formal network there's no you know structure in a super super formal sense but we're very good friends we would share resources if we needed to but all of our gyms uh, emerged independently so is it kind of like y'all met through organizing and then 
you know, coincidentally, oh, you train? Oh, I train too. <laughs> kind of. And then obviously when there's like events, you kind of meet all the other gyms. So when Brighton Left Hook put on an interclub, I think one of the ones three years ago, and we were like, oh, there's this thing I can, you know, face to face, I can shake hands with Leeds and be like, hey, lovely to meet you. We know who you are now. We built like a cool rapport. And then everyone's kind of got closer that way too. And even with this podcast, within the left community, we were thinking, man, maybe only 50 people will listen to this because how many people on the left really care about combat sports or MMA or fighting? Mm -hmm. And so you get excited when you find that there's another person on the left who also likes to train or interested in this stuff. Because your expectation is that it'll be such a thin slice group. It's like an extra sense of, I don't know, camaraderie, like, oh, you're into this stuff too. I I totally agree. And I think it's because for me, like, I guess specifically uh, as a Pakistani, a Muslim woman, when I train in places, you can be really um, hypersensitive naturally, and especially people who are involved in anti-racist organizing and stuff like that, to the, just the, the low-key and the high-key racism. You'll be at an interclub in a mainstream gym and you'll see Trump stickers. And this is in the UK on a locker. What? Like, okay, that's uh, excellent. Can't wait to train here. Or like, do you know what I mean? Or like um, you start getting messages from people asking your weight class to organize fights, which is fine. You go on their profile and you're like, um, Muslims fuck off back home or whatever. And you're like, okay, excellent. Good. Thank you. I'm glad that this goes completely unchecked. So I think, yeah, like it's um, definitely not just a hobby, is it? It's like a lifestyle for us. We absolutely love it. And it's such a huge part of our world. So to know that you can explore it and enjoy it with other people who can see the intersections of politics within it is uh, it's phenomenal. So podcasts like yours and the communities that you personally like make are amazing. So thanks. Thank you. Are there other red gyms outside of the UK that are friends with your clubs? Or are you aware of any groups or gyms trying to start some up outside of the UK, maybe in the US or in other parts of Europe? Um, so mostly in europe so whenever we go to europe for any different reasons we so we visited gyms in like berlin and in france and stuff like that and they're very like well set up gyms they've been around for a long time and they could be in different squats and stuff and because of the kind of amount of uh, immigrants we have we have so many connections like there's uh oh, what's the name of the polish is it freedom fighters that looks incredible but that's in may and i just don't think anyone's unfortunately in the current scenario situation gonna make it there so we have like a direct contact for this niche awesome squat in poland and stuff but um one project we're quite close to is in stockholm in sweden so we've been working with a little anarchist collective there, trying to help them to form a little gym, showing them our formats, how we do things, what might benefit them. And so that's been really nice. And I think if it's still going ahead, they were looking at working with us as well and doing a nice little workshop at the Stockholm Anarchist Book Fair, which would be really amazing. But yeah. What about the US? Any gyms or folks trying to pick Reading Red Corner's brain or get some tips about starting stuff in the United States? Um, so we, we don't, we're not close to any gyms per se. Like we, we're aware of them. Like Haymaker, I think, is a big one in Chicago. But I think bec- it's just a bit of a strange cultural divide in some ways. Like 
a lot of political stuff. I know that there's been more crossover with anti-racist stuff since a huge rise in populism in the US. Uh, I, I don't know if I should say rise because sometimes people say rise in the UK and I'm like, well, it wasn't a rise. You just noticed it. Yeah. But <laughs> I, can't, I can't speak for that. Um, so in the US. Uh, but we are aware of different projects and groups and we're in contact with them. But for Red Gyms, unfortunately, we're not as close as we'd like to be. Yeah. That's the vibe I get also here in the U.S. is that it's still very fledgling or I think a lot of just uh, political groups too. A lot of red political groups or, uh, you know, explicitly Marxist groups or stuff are just trying to form now. Mm. There was a history of it maybe in the 60s and 70s and then it disappeared and now it's trying to come back. Yeah. But there are some really good uh, anti-racist groups that have reached out to friends around the country in the UK and have asked quite openly for advice and to visit and see what we get up to here and stuff. And that's really cool. And I'd love to see something similar happen with Red Gyms. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I think because in the US, people think of social justice, so like things like anti-racism as being independent from left politics, whereas maybe in other places that mm. is seen more as an overlap. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, ah. for Americans, they'd be the other way. We're like, what? <laughs> it's overlapped <laughs> over there. <laughs> That's so bizarre. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of things bizarre about the US, like even like with the coronavirus, actually, um, Americans are starting to just wrap their mind around that we're the only country left that's developed that doesn't have socialized medicine. Yeah. So we're the only country right now dealing with this problem that doesn't have a socialized medicine program. So. It's so horrible. I'm so sorry. It, even then, like the UK is, uh, I mean, they're basically coming and Boris Johnson on the news saying, yeah, I mean, your, your family members might die. <laughs> He's just like, okay, thanks. Thank you for not forcing the private hospitals to give up beds. Thanks for not, you know, freezing benefit sanctions and rent and eviction strike, like uh, evictions and stuff. So yeah, UK is pretty shit too, if that helps. Yeah, it's the whole like Reagan, Thatcher, neoliberalism that's still alive and kicking. And that's why red gyms are so important. Exactly. <laughs> so going back to that then, how often does Red Corner meet for training? We meet a minimum once a week. So we train every Tuesday for an hour and a half. And then in spring and summer, we do an extra session on Thursdays, which is outdoor. And how does it work? Is it classes only or is it an open gym style training for that time? So on Tuesdays, we're, so this is where the anarchists will make fun of us. We're like super structured. It's like there are teachers and they work in rotation and we have a boxing dedicated class once a month. And that's taught by one of our competing teachers who I think he fought in China mostly, which is really cool. And, um, the rest of the time, it's uh, Muay Thai K1 style. And we have a, a real structure because if you don't have that, the problem is we find it's always the loudest, most macho person who tries to overtake everything. And unless you have someone making the structure, not everyone gets a, their chance to really benefit from and learn and be engaged. So we have like quite a, you know, form, like, like you would have at a mainstream gym, to be fair. It's not like, you know, super, super strict. It's just that someone is at the start leading and teaching, and then someone might go around and help everyone out individually. But it's not like a free for all. And we do have like an exchange of ideas, definitely. Like people feedback constantly, and we always ask for feedback. And we have a private Facebook group where it's just that. We might put a poll in and be like, 
to your folks want to work on? Like, is there anything really silly that you've seen on a video or something cool? And equally, it feeds into the syllabus in that when we do interclub fights, like the non-decision fights, all the decision fights, to be fair, we review them as teachers and we're like, oh man, like we need to work more on footwork, like, or whatever. And then it kind of comes into the flow of learning and that kind of reciprocation. So the participants have a say, and it sounds like then the curriculum isn't created by one teacher. Yeah, pretty much. So we also have like a private teacher's chat and we'll run things by each other and be like, I think we need to spend a bit more time on knees today. Uh, Let's work on more Dutch style drills. I think that's going to benefit everybody and stuff like that. So we kind of work and collaborate and input together. And then sometimes the participants as well uh, will say, actually, I'd love to do this. Can we do a bit more self-defense? Can we do that? And we'll always facilitate for sure. How long has Reading Red Corner been around? Oh, Uh, sorry i'm just making sound effects now um (laughs) i would say two years officially so maybe three and a half years so two years officially one and a half informally just friends training together yeah if not a little bit more yeah what was the transition from informal just friends training to what it is now so when it's just friends training, there might be six or seven of us in the park or in the studio at the gym, and we're doing technique and just talking about things. Uh, you know, we could be talking about mental health while we're putting our wraps on, and you know, it looks super super nice. But when it's red corner, it's uh, open to everybody, so you can have all kinds of people coming, super super shy to super super experienced. Anyone can come, so it's. Not as much for us, I'd say. It's really that we're focusing on lifting other people up, if that makes sense. So then was that a discussion at some point where it was just all of y'all just training together and then it's like, hey, let's open this stuff to other people? Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty much it. I mean, I could see that conversation just naturally happening over time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like we see each other all the time. We're involved in all this other stuff. We have good, you know, organizational experience, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Yeah, you get enough organizers together just doing anything and they're going to want to organize something with that. <laughs> exactly. And you know, they say people on the left, like, we're all depressed, obviously. <laughs> and we all, I mean, obviously, that so we have like higher like emotional intelligence and stuff like that. And we just feel responsible for everything. So we're like, oh, we can't just enjoy this and do this privately. We have to do this for the community. Everyone needs to have access to this. We have to facilitate that. So it's probably a bit of that as well. There you go again, thinking about other people. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Such martyrs, aren't we? (laughs) So since it's been around for a little bit, is there anything you know now as an instructor and someone who facilitates the gym that you didn't know or know to consider when you started? I know you've already mentioned um, how important gyms are to people. Yeah, I would say that was uh, one of the most shocking, not shocking, but like something that I just didn't I took for granted basically like even being of the identity I am I had no clue what it would be like for someone and I'm cisgender for somebody who's transgender non-binary and so on uh, gender non-conforming to be in these spaces which are so segregated and usually so sexist and gender focused from where you get changed to where you use the toilet to uh, comments to people constantly misgendering you there's so much involved and to know that like you can really make a difference in supporting another person and seeing different people be like oh this is you know uh my core of the week and we have an open relationship with Reading Refugee Group and 
all refugees can train in our club for free. That's standard. They can have PTs, anything they want for free. It's just uh, from the very first day, that was just one of the things we were like, it's just a standard. What do you mean by PT? Oh, personal training. I think it's seeing that it's such a, it can be such an integral part to someone's week. Some people might not have even really left the house because they might be going through serious mental health stuff. And this is the peak of their week. And that I, I took that for granted, to be honest. And that means a lot like uh, to be able to give that. I know it sounds really corny, but it's very true. Now, is Red Corner mostly striking based? Because I know some of the other Red Gyms may be focused on different things like self-defense or ground focus. Well, all of our ears are fine. We're all <laughs> striking focused, unfortunately. I think uh, we're all uh, K1 and Muay Thai focused. We do sometimes, and boxing, sorry. Uh, we do sometimes do self-defense focus sessions. So we'll do like special drills, maybe once every two months. But we are mostly focused on K1 and Muay Thai. We're not against groundwork. It's just none of us are super, super into it. And, you know, if someone was uh, in Reading and you're listening to this and you're like, yes, I'm a good teacher. I'm ready to do that. I'm left. Come over. Come teach. Each gym should have their own flavor anyway, right? It doesn't have to be everybody does everything. That's true. So with meeting once a week and sometimes twice a week, is there homework or expectations on the participants to work on things on their own? I think it depends on whether they're competing or not. If we know someone has a fight in six weeks, then you're going to have to do your homework. I'm going to have to know that you've been going to the mainstream classes as well. I need to know you've been running and I need to know you've not just been eating like pure trash. You can eat the trash after. But that's kind of accountability is quite um, just like in a really positively reinforced way of really open dialogue. Like you could message us to talk about that kind of stuff and get advice and recipes. Or if you're like, I feel like I'm really isolated. I don't want to go running. I'm bored of it. I'll come with you. We can put on music. It's cool. And that's me. I'm the person who gets isolated and bored from running. <laughs> but like, if you're just doing it for fun and you don't need the extra pressure, then no worries. We make that really clear. Like, uh, If you enjoy it and you are fine not following up, that's okay. But then if people are like, I want to progress a bit faster, then okay, awesome. Like, I think you'd benefit from watching this drill. Have a go at this on a bag. That's going to help you out kind of thing. Do you find organically participants will get together outside of the gym on their own and train with each other or run together, things like that? If so on the Thursdays that we do in the summer and the spring, that's kind of more the freestyle bit. So we try and step away from it a bit as teachers. We will run the first couple of outdoor circuits and the first couple of runs. And then we're like, and now it's over to you. You should have a bit of autonomy. You should self-organize a little bit there. You can look out for each other a bit and have a bit of ownership of the club in your own way. And that's what we try and make the Thursdays about. So like a real martial arts teacher, here's a little bit. Now let's see what you do with it, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> now, this is not specific to red gyms, but as an instructor, how important is it to train cardio if you want to be a fighter, not just during class, but also on your own? Oh my God, so important. I think especially because Muay Thai is five rounds. Because I used to train K1 and it was three rounds. <laughs> but I mean, like high, I'm sure you know, like high level intensity, three rounds, but my God, the five. <laughs> <laughs> I just changed it a year and a half ago. And um, I think with mainstream gyms, and red gyms aren't immune to it, which is why you do need to be structured and remind people of the politics that you always get. And it's usually a guy and they'll come in and they'll be like, 
I want to fight pro by the end of the summer. I've just started, but I think I can do it. Da, 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 da. I want to learn a Superman punch. I'm like, okay, let's start running and doing one, two, three, and then like go from there. So it's just the building blocks are so important. And it's everyone just tries to, not everyone, a lot of people try to neglect them. And you can see in the ring, like, okay, six spinning back kick, but you look so tired. You can't keep your hands up. Like, it's not a good look. So yeah, unfortunately, cardio is just everything. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, it's a building block, like you said. It's hard for me not to think about left politics without thinking about just martial arts because that's the thing I've done the longest. <clears throat> so in prioritizing things, it's sometimes like you can't do that spinning kick. You can't win the fight unless you have the wind, the cardio to do those things, right? Exactly. And so in the same way, in politics, I often have to tell people, we can't do any of this stuff unless we're alive to do it. You can't win unless you live. Yeah. You know, a lot of these other countries are doing amazing things, things that are better than what we can do because they already have that social safety net that they all have, you know, like in Korea, the left, the, the union workers, a lot of them, they do great things. And part of that is because their health care is taken care of. They're going to live. So now they can fight. And you can take those risks, yeah. This is why it's like fighting. It's like why you have to structure. You figure out over time or through experience or learning the hard way that things <laughs> have to happen in a certain order, right? Yeah. You have to prioritize certain things above other things. And so that's been one thing that I have noticed that other people don't think of is if you're a, a leftist and also a fighter, you know that there's certain basic building blocks you need to get the other stuff done. And cardio in a real fight is like living. Oh, yeah. And so in politics, like staying alive is really important so that you could take these other risks. Exactly. And consistency, like we were saying earlier. It's just the same with politics, isn't it? As it is with fighting. Like people have these huge gusts and they're like, I'm everything. I'm going to be amazing. I'm going to be like Bukau. And then it's like, whoa. Maybe you should just focus on the basics, build up slowly, strengthen everything else. And then like, you can't just rush in and be like, I'm the new super political group in the UK and I'm rushing straight to Facebook. And it's like, have a meeting, like, <laughs> do, do one thing. Yeah. Maybe before you start trying to fight a pro fight, let's see if you could run around the block a certain number of times. Oh God. When people tell me cardio is like not important, I just can't. <laughs> now. People who might think a red gym can stack up to commercial gyms. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and some of the other trainers? Of course. So um, the co-founder of the club, they uh, compete in K1, undefeated in K1, which is annoying and rude of them to be undefeated in K1. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> I know. It's just horrible. They have to learn some human. No, I'm joking. They're so, so, so nice and really humble, which is actually more annoying. <laughs> and, <laughs> And uh, I compete in, I used to compete in K1, as I said, and now in Thai. Um, I wanted to move towards pro this summer, but uh, I have an injury, which I got about um, three, four weeks ago from a, a small fight that I had. So I think I'll be moving towards pro at the end of the year, early next year, which is fine. Uh, resentment in my voice is, I think, audible. <laughs> and uh, we have uh, one of our other teachers, he used to do Western boxing in China. Um, he's really phenomenal, just like head movement all day, but then you just have to try and kick him in the head and make him stop. Um, <laughs> so we have a, so that's like the core group of teachers that we have. Do you also have fighters who drop by to train or participants who transition to competitive fighting? 
For the first part, I think we're a little bit protective of letting people... I know some mainstream gyms do this as well, which I find really interesting because um, even in mainstream stuff before Red Gyms, I've always been quite independent. And as a girl, I don't get that many opportunities. And I sometimes have to go by myself to an interclub because mm, the coaches are busy and I'm maybe not as much of a priority. Um, so I could get to know loads of gyms just by myself because I'll be in like a hall and there'll be like gyms there and I'll be like, oh, hey, I've seen your guy fight this time. Talk to me if you like, because I have no friends here. And so I know quite a few gyms. And one thing I found really interesting is this gym told me once they don't let external people spar their people until they come to a class, until they know the rules, till they know their vibe and they don't let them loose on people, basically. I found that super interesting. I think we're slightly similar, but because we're left gym, I don't think people come to us for that, if you know what I mean. So they come to engage rather than to do that. I mean, definitely when us as teachers and our friends who compete around the country want to do extra sparring, they might message us. And as teachers and stuff, we'll be like, yeah, absolutely. We'll stay an extra half an hour and we'll do something. No worries. But it would be, I think, slightly unusual to drop someone into a red gym and be like, uh, to do that kind of prep. And for the second part of the question, we have people even from London who want to come and compete with us under our flag. They might only train with us a bit because obviously, logistically, it's not always possible. But they really enjoy being part of our club community. So even if they're training with some really nice, fancy, fancy gyms in London, mainstream gyms, they want to compete out of Red Corner. So they'll get on a train all the way to wherever, like Leeds, just to be with us and come and have us in that corner, which is a really nice feeling as well. And us warming them up as teachers. And that's really fantastic. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the show, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by joining Team Southpaw on Patreon. By becoming a member, you'll get access to bonus content like exclusive articles, fight previews, bonus episodes, transcripts of fight studies, and access to our private chat group on Discord. But more importantly, you'll help us supplement the cost of the show, the incredible time and energy Sam and I put into making the show, and you'll be giving us some breathing room not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Once someone decides to give Reading Red Corner a try, what is it like from the moment they walk in? It's magical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, so basically, we every time we have a new person, we won't do their first class unless we can make sure that teacher, there's enough teachers to make sure that they're supported the whole time. We don't just like let someone rush in and get on with it. We'd rather say there's enough people that someone can get the kit out and someone can start the cardio and someone can come and say, Hey, what's your name? How's it going? Do you have any kinds of ability issues or anything that you want to talk about before we start? Anything you want us to be aware of? This is where you can get changed. Let's go fill up your water. And you kind of get to know them and help them relax. Then we do like really simple warm-ups. And we always, always, always do games. Like such goofy games. And we're super, we're really strict that it's not competitive. Like if you rugby tackle someone during a fun game, then you do 40 burpees. If you keep doing it, you can leave the gym. Like, we're not here for it. 
but um, they're just really silly ways to get to know each other. And then whenever we do introductions and we're like, there's new people here today, like a reminder of the rules for everyone, oh, no homophobia, no transphobia, no racism, blah, blah, blah. Um, another thing is like no clickiness. You might have made friends here or come here with friends. Mm, it's not, that's not how it is. You don't just sit off in a corner. You interact with everyone. You make sure everyone's supported. It's not a popularity thing where you just isolate members of the club for whatever reason it's not okay so everyone interacts everyone moves around and rotates and that helps include everyone if that makes sense mm -hmm. and then we'll usually do some drills and then we split the class up after 45 minutes and then the first half kind of starts winding down and the second half moves towards the advanced fighters class is there a screening process to decide who gets to train there or not mm-hmm there is indeed. So we don't put our location on social media at all. We only uh, give it, we can meet people and stuff like that. But usually to come, you'll have to be a very good friend of somebody or you message the Facebook page. And then we can have a little snoop. We can get to like have a look like, are you sharing Breitbart articles? Is that how you even say it, Breitbart? <laughs> Y'all know like, about Breitbart over there? <laughs> Yeah, thanks for that, by the way. <laughs> Appreciate that export. Um, or like, what kind of person is this? And then you have a little snoop. And because Reading is like a big little town, it's super populous, but quite small. Uh, you will more than likely have friends of friends of friends. So you can kind of see who's a real person and who's like some piece of shit racist or whatever. Now, what if you have a participant who came for the training? but now wants to learn more about left politics. Is this something that Jim can help this person out with also? Yeah. So really interestingly, like we have people of all ages. So from like 16 up to like 55, 60, I think it's really diverse. And some of the kids who were coming were like, I don't think they really cared about boxing before they started. Now they love it. But they were like, we just like, communism and like stuff <laughs> genuinely i swear to god i sound like i'm making it up he came in and like a little cccpt shirt. i was like oh it's so cute i wish i was that cool when i was 16 i was trash and he they came with his little friend and um they just wanted to be in a place with other lefties and then they got into training i could see that how based on your community maybe the only left organization might be your gym I agree because I know there's obviously like union meetings and other stuff like that. But I mean, if you're 16, like really, yeah, that what you want to do. <laughs> so yeah, it's great. And when we're stretching at the end, we usually do like um, everyone goes around and they might talk about, oh, I've got like a fundraiser for this, and I've got a demo this Saturday, and there's a picket here. Like, can anyone support? And we share stuff that way too, and in the Facebook group. Now, in a red gym like yours, how is sparring handled? Well, we like to usually prioritize people who have grudges against each other. <laughs> we, <laughs> we usually, so the way we do it is if someone's quite new, they always go with advanced people at first, definitely to get used to it. And on the new side, there's always a teacher who's watching. So kind of like refereeing. And it's not just to ensure their safety, which is a huge, huge, huge thing. It's also to start getting them used to corner advice. Like, have you thought about doing that? Relax, you're doing great. Because, like, everyone gets so nervous, right? It's like, try and take it a bit easier. Maybe think about using that technique we spoke about earlier, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll start moving around. And we also do, like, check-ins with each other. Like, it's super healthy and normal and incredibly encouraged to say, I'm not in the mood to be hit that hard. 
or actually I've got a fight coming up. Is it okay if I go hard? Please do don't feel pressured, but you know, blah, blah, blah. So that kind of dialogue is massively encouraged and therefore we usually get good matchups. And because someone's always watching, it's always enforced. Checking in as something I've heard every type of inclusive to left to anti-fascist gym mention. And that just seems like that's not even political. Like commercial gyms should just be doing that. Like having the participants just check in with each other. They should, but they don't. <laughs> or, you know, with the one, like when someone, because I'm 48 kilo and I'm fight and usually about 50. And uh, most, I, I don't know what that is in pounds, I'm sorry. And so usually when people I fight, they might be like 90 to 100 kilos. And they'll hit me and I'll be like, oh, that was a bit much. And they'll be like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't like hitting girls. I'm like, well, it's not that, is it? It's that I'm physically half your size. <laughs> it's not my gender. Or they'll be like, um, well, actually, I wasn't hitting that hard. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I would know because it was my face. But thank you so much for telling me <laughs> that you don't feel it was very hard. Like, yeah. So Reading Red Corner is trying to avoid that. <laughs> all the time, all the time. Making people really conscious of their bodies as well, like, and you know, like the thing, and I'm sure you're super aware of this, a lot of the time it's newbies who hit the hardest because they don't know their strength, right? And they windmill sometimes. Mm -hmm. And they're also nervous. Yeah, definitely. So sometimes they're even stronger than normal because they have adrenaline. Yeah, that's so true. And for us Americans who, I don't know what kind of system we use here, but your weight is about 105, 106 pounds. So yeah. the metric system. We're still not on it yet. So <laughs> that's another way we're different from the world. You know, socialized medicine. <laughs> eh. I don't know how much longer we'll have ours. I can't show off. <laughs> it, it does make me think about all the jokes that Americans have made for years about, but, but, but Venezuela, but, but, but North Korea, but, but, but bread lines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And right now, all of that is happening. So like, is Cuba running out of toilet roll or is it just England? <laughs> <laughs> How do you all decide who is ready for the advanced or the sparring class? I think we're just very, very honest. I think it's like really part of our gym's culture to be like have an actual chat with someone to the side and be like, if you're competing or you want to compete, then you need to transition there eventually anyway. But I can, we have the kind of rapport that we could talk to anyone in the class and be like, I know you want to be in this. I think you could in four weeks. But sometimes when I see you inspiring, I can see you flinch and you sometimes get distracted or you're getting rocked a little bit. And I just want to help you, you know, cover up a bit more because it's going to get a little bit harder over there. Right. And I, I, that's kind of part of it. So you're just giving people tangible advice and help to get to that stage. It's just making sure that they have like the ability and like the understanding of what that entails. Because when we're on the advanced side, obviously people can sit out any time. But we are a little bit more like Dutch draws time, one, two, three, three minutes, nonstop, go, like work, 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 because that is the advanced side. Like our whole ethos is make it accessible enough so everyone can join, make it hard enough so that competitive fighters will stay. So part of that is pushing the advanced class a bit more. So yeah, I guess it really is just down to being really honest with each other. And do you ever have it the other way where it's a student who doesn't know that they're ready and they're getting really good and you have to have a kind of a conversation like maybe you should stick around for the advanced stuff? Yeah, that's true. We do sometimes say maybe you'd like to do this. And, and sometimes they're like, eh, <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> I, like, I like the part that I'm doing and participating the way I do. And that's cool. And sometimes they're like, yeah, amazing. So let's delve into the sparring. 
Because some people might consider combat sports, hard sparring, and competition to be forms of violence. But you have a different perspective on that, or perhaps a more left perspective that focuses more on the autonomy. Yeah, I think there's this misconception, usually a very classist misconception, that combat sports and their nature are violent. Uh, which is obviously completely false because it's consensual. You're learning to look after yourself. There's so much discipline and structure involved. It's not just like a brutal carnage. It's a really structured art form. A lot of the time it can be incredibly orientalist, especially when you see how people talk about Muay Thai. So I think there's different elements of when people try to make combat sports sound really animalistic and horrible and when you conflate that with the fact that many people also try to paint left-wing politics as the same uh so anti-fascism is just violence it's like violence is a synagogue or a mosque having firebombs thrown at it it's a muslim woman having her hijabs pulled off her head like that is the society of violence we live in tangibly and if you don't experience that you're very lucky and just completely blind and learning to look after yourself in that climate and for so many marginalized people is important and incredibly wholesome and community-centered to look after yourself and others. So I think there's a very selective view on what violence is, personally. Now, for people who are only interested in self-defense, let's say, and never plan to compete, what can Reading Red Corner offer them? I think you'll definitely get a lot of fitness. You'll get a lot of physical confidence. You'll definitely be able to throw a good couple of punches. You can look after yourself. You can learn to take a hit as well, which is obviously like a huge part of it that people don't really talk about as much, I think. Um, so that's the kind of thing you'll learn. We do do some self-defense uh, elements, uh, maybe once every couple of months, I think I said earlier. But we are focused on exploring a real, like a martial art in a, its its full like form, like looking at all the different ways. Especially, I'm a, I love Muay Thai, so I'll just keep droning on about that. But if you hear the other co-person talk about K1, then maybe they'll have a different view. But you know, just seeing how you can transform all these beautiful different techniques and ways of using your body and looking after yourself and going from a knee to an elbow to a push to the clinch to the kick and it's like such a lovely way to use your body i think and it sounds really weird the way i'm putting it but this as an art form it, it, it is an art form right so, but there is still so much obviously in self-defense in being strong and throwing a solid punch like you'll definitely learn that one of the things that I discussed previously when I interviewed a trainer from Haymaker, the one you mentioned earlier from Chicago, is that all their classes are basically what you would see at an MMA gym. They offer the kickboxing, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and so forth. And I said, why don't you all just do just self-defense classes? And they said, that in itself is great. If that's what you want to focus on, do that. But the reason why they don't is because they find it can be too constraining. Because then you'd have to try to imagine every self-defense scenario a person can run into, and you can't. So in a way, then it kind of crystallizes these events or like, these are the only ways that you could get attacked. And it's so much more than that. So then they like to teach the art and you learn the art so that then you can be creative and improvise in your own context. Here's the art. I know the art. Here is how I will use this in this situation. It becomes on the autonomy of the individual to figure out how they use it 
to protect themselves because they're ultimately the ones who understand the context of their life the best. Yeah, that's really true. I can definitely see that. I know another thing that you all have been into is intergym events and competitions. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So we've been going to and competing in interclubs on the left circuit for as long as we've been around, really. Really? Um, yeah. So we've been to Leeds and we've been to Brighton a couple of times and we've been to Bristol, who had their first one last November. And yeah, it's really cool. I think we took in Bristol last November 16 fighters, which was the most. So I'm just showing off there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, really fantastic. It's a really good atmosphere. And interclubs, which is a non-decision kind of tournament, is pretty common in the UK at least, where a lot of people use them for fight prep. So if I have a fight coming up, I usually will go to a gym most gyms have interclubs all the time and i'll go and it, it's good practice it gets the nerves out your system and you can see where you're at and um yeah so they're really good events and usually they'll have like <laughs> vegan hot dogs and maybe a little seminar at the end and if people are selling t-shirts and stuff it's really nice so it wasn't like when your gym started and these other gyms started that you have to reinvent the wheel on everything it was like okay inner club competition that's a thing no decision format in competition that's the thing we can use that we can keep doing that yeah exactly yeah and they're so useful because you get to check in on yourself like see where you are you get to give people something to work towards and like really give them that structure as well like i was talking about earlier when people are like oh i want to fight i want to fight i'm like okay if you want to fight there's a fight in july let's see you give everything to this then let's commit and then it's also because it's non-decision, you can, we're super strict, obviously, on being incredibly respectful. So when you're in there, there is no winner, but you're going to make sure everyone's showing enough respect to, to each other. And we're going more rightfully towards intergender fighting and stuff like this. So I had one of the few intergender fights uh, in November. So I fought, I'm a cisgender woman. I fought a cisgender guy. And that was really fun, super, super fun fight. Um, just showing like uh, we're left gyms. I start like you know acting like it a little bit. <laughs> like these arbitrary lines are just meaningless. Like let's actually, and that was really cool. Um, so yeah, interclubs are a really fantastic way to also get to know other gyms. So if there are fledgling gyms in the US and they're like, how could we network with each other better? An interclub would be the best way. Now here in the US, I don't even know if we've ever heard of non-decision format of competitions. So can you tell us a bit more about this and explain to us why this might encourage more play and creativity and more inclusion? Yeah, of course. So obviously when you take the decision element away, the it's just so much more it's it's still hard. It's still scary. You still want to do your best, but you know that at the end if you have to lay off a bit or if you give up weight or something like that, it's not the end of the world. You know, you can goof around a bit you just want to see what you can land and what you can do and that you've been listening the last few months and maybe from your fight before then oh, i've been dropping my left hand which is obviously me uh so this fight this is the thing i want to work on whatever and that's a really nice thing to do um so it builds up the confidence as well and you learn format as well you learn that you warm up before fights you keep an eye on the lineup and maybe three fights before your fight you start skipping you start warming up you make sure you eat appropriately through the day it's just these weird little things that you have to think about right uh when you get in the ring you enter from your corner 
you, uh, if you're fighting Thai, usually you'll come and bow and then you'll come to the center. You need to touch gloves. There's so much formality. At the end, you have to go to their corner and thank their coach and then you come back to the center and so on. And you learn all of that structure, which is really nice and exciting. And it gives people who might not have ever fought otherwise that moment to just really shine and do something in the ring. And it's really exciting. And yeah, it's really cool. Do you also find then that psychologically something changes where maybe you don't even have to say anything, but just because there is no decision, there is no winner, people change how they fight. They're not as intent on killing each other, but more about the martial art, more about the learning process, the more about expressing their martial art. For the more advanced people, absolutely. I think the newer people, if it's your first into club, probably not. <laughs> it's just like, ah! Survival mode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But for more advanced people, totally. Like I, I really like them. Um, I especially like the left ones because you really are coming from the same place. And it can be frustrating when I do mainstream into clubs because sometimes I'm like, super chill and i'm just like oh i'm just here to have a good time sometimes i'll be put have four fights in a day I, I did that in august and it was like um i helped out this girl she's maybe 15 and she was autistic and she was very shy and they didn't want to put her against someone her age or something so i was like oh i don't care like she can lamp me about i'm not going to be that person to be like i'm not taking this in front of everyone like who the fuck would do that like of course i'll spar her it'll be really fun for her and for me and you might just want to have a good time. And in mainstream ones, this is like where they just want to show off. So you'll come in so chill and they'll be like, head kick, have full power before you even touch gloves. And you're like, okay, like I can fight full contact, but this is not the day I expected to, but all right, let's have it then. But at the left ones, like there's definitely more of an understanding of what you're there to do. And you can just have fun and everyone's laughing and joking in the audience. And you kind of maybe sometimes have to be like, all right, folks in the audience, let's not make it tense like and super competitive. Let's not chant. like Let's cheer on everyone kind of thing. And so that's really good because it kind of reinforces what we're about, right? Like everyone's there to help each other and it's all just fun. And then you see people relax and start pulling like really mad techniques, which are just super cool to watch. And yeah, it's really fun. Have you noticed that sometimes in mainline martial arts or combat sports or even just really left political organizations, they sometimes forget about fun? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that fun isn't a bad thing. It is okay to have fun. And sometimes that should be the intent. Yeah, I think that's the really good part of having like left wing sports. And even if it was, I think someone was saying, I really want to do something like this, but I don't like, I don't do sports. I'm like, do a chess club, do a book club, do a games club. Like so many nerds on the left anyway. Like we're like, oh yeah, how about Warhammer? Like do something. It's just fun. And you get to do it with like-minded people and it's a community thing and it's accessible. And that that's important. That's, you know, that's cool. It doesn't have to be like, hardcore Moy Baran, like just do something nice. Yeah. Find something that you think is fun and go do it. Go have some fun. Yeah, exactly. Especially because of what you said earlier, a lot of us on the left, because of the world we live in, we're kind of depressed. So (laughs) especially for us, for self-care, fun is important. Yeah, exactly. And you're trying to show that like socialism can be so much the backbone of all kinds of events and interactions with your life. Like anything and everything can be like that. checking on your neighbor is like some micro form of socialism like looking after each other being nice playing games like having fun like these are all just things you could do with that kind of intent and that's great 
Now, how are the matches decided? Um, so we have pretty good experience in our club, which is really cool. So we usually have a fair bit of input when we talk to other gyms because I think we have a lot of teachers who've been competing for a long time, which is uh, not unique to us, but I think the amount of teachers that we have that have been competing for a long time is quite high. And so we're quite good at giving that kind of input of you don't want to just do it on weight and style. You want to look more for experience. Uh, this person would probably be better giving up 10 kilo than they would to fight someone who's about the same confidence level and so on. And so it's just like making those more personal notes are much more valuable than what's on paper. So we encourage that a lot, which has always been taken into account and absolutely fabulous. Like in Bristol, the matchups were great. They were really, really good. And so, yeah, it's just being very open and planning beforehand. And Because I guess with mainstream gyms, the fear for them is they all want to look really good. So even in interclubs, they'll try and stitch each other up a bit and they'll be like lying and being like, oh, he's only had one interclub. And like, yeah, but in Muay Thai, but in MMA, he's like a fucking pro. Sorry, I don't know <laughs> if I'm allowed to swear on your podcast. Of course. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's such a horrible thing to do. Like, oh, let's just ruin this person's confidence for life. Whereas with us folks, because we're socials, we're left, we want to be super transparent and be like, actually this person they're very strong they're tiny but they're super strong put them with someone with a good chin on them or heavier and we can be really honest and we'll say that to our fighters as well actually when you asked me about can you cuss in the u.s it's probably more accepted in the mainstream society for people to cuss than to talk about socialism so that's where we're at right now <laughs> really <laughs> You got it all backwards. You're saying all the socialist stuff, thinking that's okay. And then you cuss and you're like, can I say that? It's all backwards here. The parents, they see their kid watching porn on YouTube. It's like, oh, okay. Watching something socialist. They're like, oh my God. Oh, you, you lot are just drowning in freedom. So <laughs> <laughs> much freedom. Now, does your club itself then do in-house competitions as well, where it's just members within your own gym? No, we do sometimes do shark tanks. Do you know what shark do you do shark tanks? Can you explain that for the listeners? Of course. So it's basically where you stick a person in the middle and then they'll have to do 30 seconds or something with every single person. And they're <laughs> absolutely exhausted. It's like horrible. I filmed myself in one, I think last year. It's the grossest thing you've ever seen. Like your hands are low. You've got like snot coming out your nose. It's <laughs> not fun. But it's what our mainstream teacher always says to us is it's not to show for me to see how you can fight really well. It's for me to see how you fight when you're tired. So I think that's the closest we get to that kind of thing in the club. But we have a really healthy level of like competitive with good faith. Like I want to do better, but I want you to do better. I don't want to, I want to land this because it's good for me, but I don't want to just pummel you onto the floor. That's not, doesn't benefit either of us. Right. So we have that kind of a vibe, I'd say. What do you think are some of the benefits of competition that people might be, you know, maybe neglecting? I would say that one of the things is, I was, I was talking about this with uh, the person who co-runs the gym with me earlier. And we were saying, or he was saying that actually it's really good to see that you're not just living in a bubble as well. So we always visit other gyms. And even in our mainstream gym, we go to, even in the southern of England, like if there are other seminars and stuff, we go and see them. And it's good to know that you're not just learning really specific stuff just because your teacher likes this really specific stuff. You get to see what other people are working on. You get to get their style and their input. And that is like integral to your progression. You want to see what other people are doing. 
And it gives you a benchmark of something to work towards and to work from. So you could record your interclub, which we really, really encourage. And then you can be like, I remember a year ago, I couldn't even throw a four or five hit combo. And now I'm just doing them all the time. I'm super happy. I recognize that in myself. And that's a really valuable part of it, right? Mm -hmm. It's also just to teach all the stuff I was saying earlier about uh, format and stuff, which sounds so dull, but is really important. <laughs> like, So, yeah. I think competition is really important too, because when you hear people talking about combat sports and martial arts, and maybe they haven't competed that much before, mm. or maybe they have competed, but they haven't really thought about it. But we say the basics as if it's just some fixed idea that we all agree what the basics are, right? Yeah. But when you go compete, you realize, oh, the basics I know are actually just my teacher's basics. Yeah, exactly. And then this school has another basic. So what you were saying earlier, sometimes then what you think you're learning, you might be just learning the biases of your teacher and you need competition to open you up, to open your mind up yeah. to see what else is out there and what are some of the things other people are doing. Yeah, exactly. Totally. And you know what? Another thing as well, it really gives people a newfound respect for the sport. So people are like, oh, yeah, I love Conor McGregor and fighting is so cool. And then you're like, this is what it's actually like to be in a ring and not a full contact MMA fight or something. This is a, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it can be fairly low level. I mean, to people, it's a lot. Don't get me wrong. On a personal level, it's a lot. But you will see people come back to the gym a week later like, I see why you told me that now. I see why you told me to keep my hands up. I see why you told me I had to start running more. Like, you're like, yes, I know. Good. Like, It's really healthy to do that. Until I've had these conversations with so many different gyms, I've struggled with trying to explain what the difference is between self-defense and sport. And what I mean by difference is what the use cases are. Mm -hmm. And I find that if somebody's willing to be consistent and train often, then sport's better. Sport is good for that because you're going to do it all the time. And then sport is great for the conditioning, the competition gets you ready in so many ways. If you're inconsistent, maybe you're just going to go to a class once. There's no reason to take somebody who's only going to take one class ever in self-defense and teach him one day of sport. Then they're much better off in self-defense. Self-defense is perfect for infrequent, for people who are not interested in competition and people who just want something to know that they could carry with the rest of their life. So I often find the difference between the two isn't about which is better. Mm -hmm. It's about consistency. How much time can the participant put in? If they could put in a lot of time, then a traditional martial art or a sport might make more sense. If somebody is infrequent or can't afford to train or what have you, you know, maybe a, a free self-defense class or going to one seminar might make more sense. That's just basically generalizing, but mm. you know, on top of that, it also depends on comfort. But I think consistency is an emphasis that people never think about emphasizing as far as what the difference between the two is. Yeah. And with a sport or a martial art, you're exploring uh, something which has many different like cultural connotations. There's a whole world of like things you can look at and explore and understand histories and stuff, which is so fascinating. And you get to be a part of this community. But with self-defense, it's a little bit different, right? Like you say, I said earlier, it's scenario focused. It's very, I mean, it's effective, like definitely to a point. But with martial arts, you get that and more, I feel like, like, you could be in many scenarios for self-defense and 100% a good elbow or a big good hook or a good low kick. Like whoever expects a low kick, <laughs> that is really, really useful, right? So what got you into fighting? Ooh. Um, so for me, I, I had a, 
uh, an upbringing where uh, it, I would have benefited a lot if I was able to look after myself a lot more physically, I'd say. So it was quite usually being on the wrong end of violence, um, the wrong end, <laughs> like this the right end, uh, being on the bad end of uh, violence, I'd say. And as I've got older, um, and I think post 9-11 racism especially uh, was really when I was very young and growing older, going to school and stuff, it wasn't getting any better. And nationalism has got much worse here. And just because I've always been fairly left anyway from quite a younger age, like early teens, to different degrees, um, you kind of are putting yourself really at the forefront of the ugly, horrible, shitty face of like racism a lot of the time. So you just get an even more hyper sensitivity and putting yourself in danger and stuff, right? And yeah, like I have been like physically hurt in those kinds of scenarios. Uh, it's it's not great. And I'm super small. Like now we understand from the <laughs> system of the metric system um, that you did earlier. And just having some physical ability to myself, just some strength, or just knowing I can take something and get back up even, like that's enough for me sometimes. Like being able to stand my ground and look after other people is really important. And not feeling helpless, I guess, is the best way to pull all those different ideas together. So that's kind of how I started. And when I first started in Muay Thai and boxing, um, I, well, it was K1 first. Uh, I was okay with it. I thought it was okay. It was kind of fun. I didn't get a huge amount of encouragement. My old gym was very old school. It wasn't super female focused, I'd say, at least. Um, so I didn't feel like uh, I, I without the leftist friends around me also training there is no way I would have stuck at it anyway because I would not have felt supported or like there was any point in me being there and I am not a fast learner like I was really really slow but as I've got there like I'm really really focused and stuff now um so I'd say that's why I got into it and what how I stayed in because yeah I, I can definitely see how that's informed how I treat people in red corner now like if you don't have the people there from the start telling you, it's okay. You don't have to be amazing, perfect from the first session. You will make mistakes. Everything's going to be all right. Like you, as every time, um, I don't know if you've noticed this in gyms yourself, but like I, I see this in every gym. Even my newer gym is like really lovely and really great. A muscly dude walks in in like your cow shorts and like, oh my God, that's amazing. Everyone stop everything. There's a muscly guy here. We all need to go and like watch him do low kicks. That's going to be the highlight of the year. Whereas you could have any woman and they could be doing technique a million times better and the interest level and the opportunities are <laughs> non-existent. And so like knowing even in the better gyms that that's the scenario in Red Corner, we're like, so evangelical about like women to the front non-binary people to the front like you will have special sessions i don't even care like you are more important than anyone here because they are we are we are more important <laughs> and you know a lot of times the leftists criticize that it is not meritocratic but in a way actually getting rid of all these reactionary things gives people who are ignored or dismissed a time to show what their merit really is. Yeah. This is actually real meritocracy, you know? Yeah. And learning at your own pace. You don't have to just 
make some sort of impression or be a certain way. You can just do things at your own pace and pick things up as you go. There's no rush. There's no pressure. There's not one opportunity on the table and then it's going to go. And a lot of girls are made to feel like that. A lot of women and girls, we are always made to feel like there's this one fight. I've got this one match for you. If you can't make it, then oh well. Whereas if you're like a 69 kg man, yeah, there's fights. Or yeah, you could fight every week if you wanted to. And we'll make sure it happens because that's going to sell tickets. And we think that's exciting and amazing and they're better fighters and all this other kinds of BS. So we're so against that in Red Corner. I remember once, and this is like no shade to the person who said this, you probably hear this. They said to me once, oh, well, uh, I didn't bring my partner today because uh, I wanted to focus on myself a bit today. I said it was a bit more of a fighter's class. And I was like, okay, but like, I will 100% prefer your partner to come because women and binary people are more important to this class than any guy will ever be like no offense but like bring her like and I want to have an open communication with her like yeah I think that's just a strong ethos of our club and it's not just uh tokenized by the male teachers like it's it's enforced and I think one of the other things that you mentioned earlier that a lot of mainstream gyms don't consider kind of like your story right a lot of people, especially women and maybe people who are part of the LGBTQ community, or maybe they're a minority or some kind of oppressed, marginalized person, mm-hmm. they're coming to the gym post-trauma. So the bad thing has already happened. Mm-hmm. So they're focusing and sometimes fetishizing sometimes too much on the bad thing that is yet to come instead of focusing on the important part. This person has already been traumatized. Now we got to help them reclaim themselves, Mm. reclaim their body. We got to encourage them. We got to promote autonomy. We got to encourage them finding empowerment. Yeah, exactly. And it's just that kind of confidence and building that kind of net around them to help them blossom and grow and to like uh, progress is absolutely our responsibility. And it's very hard to make sure that happens in a gym full of loud guys who are used to taking up all the space all of the time and being treated like they're amazing for existing so that's uh it's really important to us to make sure that like you say we make that foundation yeah i would say there's a bigger broader collective of gyms if we think of it as far as not just about red gyms or socialist gyms or anarchist gyms or anti-racist gyms or pro-women gyms this type of trauma-informed collective of gyms that are understanding that People are coming to this with different stories than the the tough guy man story who's coming in to you know become a pro fighter or who's never yeah. suffered abuse and just wants to become stronger. Exactly, and I think that's why it's so important to have like the games and the silliness and to mm-hmm. take the edge off and the check ins and making sure there's an assigned person to come up to you in the beginning and the end of a session and being attuned to everyone's feelings and the feedback. And then the community stuff that we do as well. So there is a setting where we can all communicate and it's not just the gym. And we always say as well, like if you have feedback and it's about the teachers, like you don't have to come to us if you're uncomfortable. There are other people you can talk to and they can bring it up or we can have some sort of, you know, it's we're not like in charge of everything in that way. We're accountable too, right? And as a red gym, do you also get involved with the community? Yes. So that is uh, really, really fundamental to what we do. Um, all, so we started off doing it once a month, but because there's so much uh, response, we have at least two or three people from the boxing club every week who go to a Muslim-led 
food kitchen for homeless and vulnerable people in the town. So every Saturday we go and we make like rice, we make cakes, we all just go and hang out with vulnerable people. A lot of people are just mega lonely. We might give advice on like how to get access to different resources from the council. We could just pour tea and coffee, give out books. Like we do this every weekend. It's super, super nice. We're very close to this group now. And we take subs if people can afford to. If they can't, that's no worries. As I mentioned earlier, for refugees, it's absolutely free as a blanket rule. And once a month, we don't accept any subs. We only accept food bank donations. And we get those and they go directly to a completely separate food bank from even the Muslim charity. And that's really awesome. So we're keeping that afloat and that's a community thing, uh, which is open every Tuesday and Thursday and people can come and take what they need. So it's really important to us to be involved in those kinds of ways. And um, every year, although we'll probably do it twice a year now, current situation pending, we do like a barbecue. So we do like a super open barbecue, which is super relaxed and food focused. It's not like a crusty punk noise gig. It's chill and family focused and everyone can come and have some vegan burgers or whatever. And we raise money at them. So I think last year we raised a few hundred pounds for Reading Refugees and for Sadaka, the Muslim charity as well. So it's really cool to get involved in these other kinds of projects too. It's uh, really, really important for us to practice what we preach, right? And any tips for those of us, especially here in the U.S., as far as starting a gym like yours? A gym like ours? Oh, I don't know if you could ever be that cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, starting a gym, yeah, absolutely. I would say, like, as we mentioned earlier, like, if people want to start something, but they don't like training, start something else. Like start a Warhammer figure painting group. That is awesome. <laughs> if you are like anime appreciation club, like have at it. If you are really into uh, martial arts already, I would say you need to find a space, a nice, clean, accessible space. You need to have a core group of very committed people who can make sure they can follow this through all the time. It's not just a flash in the pan it's consistent. You also just need to make sure that you try as much as you can to interact with mainstream clubs and like a variety of mainstream clubs as well and other red gyms to see format. What works, what doesn't, what did you hate and what do you like about training in your mainstream club? Like just like steal their ideas, like what's a really good circuit thing, what's a really good icebreaker, and have a look at all these different formats you can use to keep your club fresh and structured. I would say the structure is really important. And then, yeah, I think you're onto a winner already. And then make sure you have some social media presence so you can reach out to people. And a, a private Facebook group is really good for sharing videos back and forth, all that kind of thing. And yeah, consistency, having an open mind and stealing from other clubs. <laughs> now, where can folks find out more about Reading Red Corner on the internet? We have a Facebook page. We should have more social media. I said this on a, another podcast, which is 12 Rules for What. It's in London. It's really good. You should check it out. Um, yeah, you can find us only on Facebook. I know the cool places like Instagram and Twitter and stuff, but we just have Facebook, so I'm sorry. But yeah, if you look up Reading Red Corner, there's a little picture of a glove. That's us. Give us a like. You can message us anytime. Oh, and also on there, we have under the notes section, um, a guide to very, very basic guide for equipment and your very first session. And you can 
cut, steal those, like reuse them. They we use them all the time because instead of like always explaining this is a gum shield, this is where you buy it, this is how you put on wraps, we just put it into a little document and you can just share wherever you like. Good to know that since you've done the last podcast with somebody else, you still haven't updated your social media with anything new. <laughs> I don't know how bad is that? I know. It's not like I had anything better to do. My Achilles is torn in two. I, I definitely could have. <laughs> you haven't started a TikTok yet. You haven't started ah, a Twitch. I ticked a Twitch. Oh my God. Yeah, we'll have an emergency meeting about it straight after. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I'll put a link to your Facebook in the show notes. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for giving us a platform and making such a really unique space for everyone. Now that's the show. If you enjoyed this episode and find this type of independent media worthwhile, please consider supporting the show on Patreon. We have a lot more episodes like this one in the works, but need your financial support to keep the show running. Even a few dollars a month goes a long way. No one does what we do, and it's all being funded by you the listener. In return for supporting us, you'll gain access to lots of bonus content and along with our private Discord chat. Even if you can't support us, there's a lot of free bonus content there as well. We also have an online store if you want to show your Southpaw solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com. And if you can't afford to support the show and still want to help, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen. This makes it easier for others to find us. And don't forget to share your favorite episodes or the podcast itself on social media. Tell your friends. Until next time, goodbye.